after an unplanned hiatus, welcome back to the tiny room. I am your no longer sick co-host, Michael, and I am joined digitally by my picture of health co-host, Benjamin. Say hello, Benjamin. We both know that was a facetious uh, description of me, Michael. I'm, I'm a little under the weather today, a little nasally I'm around the edges. I'm as well, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mucus. There might be the occasional sniffle in this podcast. Ben, yeah. I was suffering from Australian fever. Australian fever? Is that yes. where you can't help but listen to Kylie Minogue? Yes. Uh, you see, you might have misunderstood and thought I meant Australian flu, which is the prevailing flu that's going around Ireland ah. at the moment. But that's not what's happened. I have just become obsessed with all things Australia. Yeah. Would, would one say that you just can't get it out of your head? I can't get it out of my head prawns are all i think about <laughs> yeah okay prawns because prawns are what they call them in australia not shrimp despite, it's not it's not shrimps what, no. what about tell tell me there's a barbie tell me there's a barbie well there is a barbie ben did you know yeah. that the famous australian phrase throw another shrimp on the barbie doesn't make sense in australia because they throw it, prawns on the barbie they throw prawns on the barbie but that was an ad from the 80s starring a uh, crocodile dundee actor forget his name Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan. And they had to say throw a shrimp on the Barbie because Americans wouldn't understand what the prawn was doing on a Barbie. Because they went and called everything a shrimp. Because if it ain't shrimp, it ain't American. Exactly. If it ain't American, it ain't weren't squat. Is there any news, Ben? Yes. There is. What is is the news? Um, Well, there's there's, there's a number of different things. Um, Since we were talking about the 80s, it's it's quite interesting that you brought this up. Um, That's your There are new images... There are uh, there are new images that have surfaced from Captain Marvel, which is going to be set in the eighties before the MCU um, timeline took place, um, or earlier in the MCU timeline, perhaps. Um, but it's, so eloquent, um, Ben. Yeah, sorry, I've got I've got all the words. Um, <laughs> Brie Brie Larson has been seen in her costume. Brie Larson, who is Marvel. famously named after a cheese. Um, and a Swedish author who passed away before giving us, uh, not, but not before giving us a wonderful series of um, crime novels. Oh, the Dragon Tattoo Man. Yes, Stieg Larsson, which is ben. quite close. Yeah, maybe Stieg <laughs> is a cheese. Um, ben, what did you think of the costume? It, it seems to me that the costume is heavily based on the Ultimate Universe, Captain It's Marvel. a funny colour, isn't it? It's a funny colour, because traditionally, Michael... The the Marvel costume, mm-hmm. the Captain Marvel mm-hmm. costume, is is red, and and black with a with a gold star. Um, well, whereas this one was decidedly well, emerald. You say traditionally, you say traditionally, um, but that costume that she currently wears and the costume that looks like it's going to be in the movie that's only been around for five or six years. Before that, she used to have a kind of black leotard thing. Oh, okay. So they're going the with the. Leot- the they're going with the new iteration. Oh, yeah. yeah the, the... It... Sorry, go on. No, it's considerably less sexist, to be honest. Yeah, no, that's, that's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking it for that reason. I'm just surprised that they went with green. I, I didn't know the green was a thing. Because the green is generally the colour of the Cree uniforms. Yeah, true. true. So I'd say there's one of two things happening. Either A, this is when she has stolen a Cree uniform uh-huh. and later on she's going to get a more modern coloured version Ooh. or 
or they're gonna color correct it in post. They're gonna fix it in post. They're gonna fix it in post. Yeah. Like how you fix me and all my racist rants. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really have racist rants. You just unintentionally say something very racist about once a week. Yeah. Well, you say unintentional. I say potato. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not a racist. I hope. Um, Is there any other pay- news, Ben? Um, yeah. Do I'm, I'm going to make a political, Michael. I'm sorry. Um, oh no. Did do you do you do you keep up with with current events in in that America? Not really, Ben. You see, I have a whole thing about Irish people who keep too much abreast of American politics and yet couldn't tell you their local TD. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's something quite insulting. like. It gets my goat. Someone who could tell you who the vice chancellor of the second house of representatives in America is, but doesn't know um, which party controls their local area in their own country. Kind of bothers me. Yeah, that's fair. That's (laughs) that's pretty fair. Sorry, I'm I'm getting a bit pointy here with my pen. That's that's okay. I'll 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 take the points. I'll I'll anyway. Go on to that. Um, no, well, it's, it, it, it rather more draws the ire of, well, current events in America are not really something that I'm, I'm all that interested in for today's podcast, but it is of great interest to international watchdogs that pay attention to, um, to a, a certain clock. Um, I'm referring to the, the doomsday clock, um, which... The, act- um, the actual doomsday clock or the comic book, the doomsday clock? Well, it's very interesting because these things have a knock-on effect... Uh, Michael, the actual doomsday clock, which is a clock that shows how close or how possible nuclear war might be. And currently, currently, the doomsday clock rests at two minutes to midnight, which is the closest. Once it hits midnight, we go kaboom. Um, And um, that is the closest it's been to midnight since the Cold War. And so it's, it's a rather interesting time to be alive. In response to this, Yes. DC, DC Comics published a rather um, insulting tweet. Um, oh, good. At, at, at the moment, um, DC is running an event called the Doomsday Clock or the Doomsday I Countdown. I can't remember, yeah. which is tying in their Watchmen. And what, what they published in response to the news that uh, we are the closest to nuclear war that we have been since the 1980s was a tweet that said, to take your mind off the real doomsday clock, pick up a copy of our doomsday clock. Fair enough. <laughs> but that, everybody in America... Good <laughs> everyone in America lost their minds. And they were like, how can you make light of this, this catastrophic event? And I found it quite funny. I found the reaction to this tweet funnier than I found the actual tweet. The actual tweet was quite funny. But... Um, I think it's hilarious that they can, you know, give out so much about someone who tweets when their own president calls people short and fat on Twitter. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, TC had to take down the tweet and issue a formal apology. They took it down. What cowards. They took, they took it down and issued a formal apology Bloody to anyone, anyone being hurt. Um, so it was very, very politically correct moment in comics, um, which mm. leads me to a lovely segue into yes. other political correctness this week. Political um, correctness gone mad. Yes, yes. So um, this week, girls um, gone wild. <laughs> girls gone wild. <laughs> From one tweet to another. Uh, this week, yeah. um, a prominent uh, artist in Marvel was asked a question on on the Twitter, 
on the Twitter. John Mallon, do you know him? Who? John Mallon. He did that famous run of Spider-Man in the late 80s, early 90s. Clone Wars. No, not ringing any bells. Clone Saga, all that. Uh, oh, the worst Spider-Man story. Yeah, exactly. The worst. Oh, no. uh, the the worst Spider-Man story ever. Um, Go on. So, he was asked um, if... Um, I, can't, I can't remember what the exact... Uh, nature of the tweet was but the the one of somebody asked him if he felt that the gene politics of the x-men were Mm. reminiscent of hitler okay which is which is a stupid question anyway okay it's it's a bit of a bit of a, a silly question and the obvious answer is no the gene politics in the x men do not reflect um that and given that one of the characters is of Jewish descent and went through a concentration camp, it was probably a little bit of a silly question to ask. But mm. what was sillier was John yes. Mallon's response to Hooray! this. Hooray! So I have the actual tweet here in my hand. Um, and and the the tweet is, it's, it's very incomprehensible, but here we go. X-Men are closer to Jews in SJW Hitler's Germany fighting for freedom because they see... Ide- uh, ideologues rising, silencing them, weaponizing hate, racism and socialism against the people they claim are the root of social ills. SJWs are not Nazis, but Nazis are SJWs, and X-Men aren't SJWs. X-Men are alt-right. I have no idea what he meant to get at. SJW stands for Social Justice Warrior, Michael. I know, Ben. Um, Well, it was for the listeners, Michael. It's for the listeners. You're you're a well-informed man, a man of the world. So Charles Xavier, not- Charles Xavier is a, a Milo Yiannopoulos. Yes, I suppose someone who, yeah, <laughs> well, according to John Mallon, um, although John Mallon seems to equate them more to Jewish people. Uh, and then very most importantly about this tweet is that SJWs are not Nazis, but Nazis are SJWs, um, which I didn't really understand. But anyway, he seems to be comparing uh, the current state of political correctness in um, the US uh, to Nazism, which I, found quite, which I found quite funny. So That's Marvel, excellent. not unlike DC this week, had to step in and issue an apology on behalf of their <laughs> artists. Oh, very and, um, good. He's been giving a, a stern talking to. As a result of this. But I found that quite funny. Um, Michael, I found that quite funny. Benjamin, on the topic of uh, mean tweets, we've had a, a comment on YouTube. Would you like me Ooh. to read uh, the opinions of a one Johnny34? Johnny34 Johnny has commented, What a bunch of real homos. Uh, is that in reference to us? I, I don't know. Here's where I take... This is where I take offence to it. I don't know if you can call two people a bunch. <laughs> That's like I mean, whatever about the homos thing. I've been called worse than a homosexual. That's not the worst. But two people I've, can't be yeah. a bunch. No, I've never bought two bananas and gone, "Oh, what a great bunch of bananas." No, it's never happened. It's a pair of bananas. It's never yeah, happened. I would, really. I would, I would return that bunch if there were only two in it. Um, what what video was this on? Uh, this is all news to me. I don't know. I can't remember. It just made me laugh. Uh, something about something about um, how pop culture can influence real communities. Why? Why is that? What was? What was? 
What was so homosexual about that episode? Ben, Ben, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Who cares about the homosexual thing? That's fine. It's just two people can't be a bunch. Well, hang on. If this guy's just wandering around miscategorizing, you know, collective nouns, what, what are we to do? Michael, we have, to, we have to make a big deal of it on a podcast, which he obviously we've, listens we've, to. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so ben, for, future, for, for future reference, Johnny24, we are a pair of homos. Yeah. Not a well, bunch. Uh, well, hold on a minute. No, I'm actually not homosexual. Again, not, uh, not that that would be a problem. But <laughs> you just, you just uh, keep digging. Uh, uh, <laughs> dig up. Boy, dig up. Anyway, Ben. Yeah. Speaking of villains, let's uh, smooth and segue <laughs> into our topic for the week. Hang on, we can't. No, hang on. We have to go back. You just said, you just finished saying homosexuals and then you said speaking of villains. No, Johnny 3-4 is the villain. <laughs> we need clarification on that, by the way. Yeah, okay. We meant Johnny 3-4 as a villain, not, not the homosexual community at large. Ben. If I'm taking offence at Johnny 3-4 describing two people <laughs> as a bunch of homos, does that make me a grammar Nazi or a grammar social justice warrior? It certainly doesn't make you an X-Men. Um, oh. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about villains. Ben, okay. the, the, the movie event, the, the comic book and movie event of the year will undoubtedly be um, Infinity War. Yes. You, you can agree or disagree with these statements. And I, Thanos... I, I, Thanos is the villain of the Infinity mm. War. And the Russo brothers, who are directing the, the movie, have a said in a character. lot of ways, in a lot of ways, uh, it is Thanos' movie. Oh. So, it's hard to do a villain right. Yeah, so It's tough. The big thing of this year is going to be, is Thanos going to be interesting? Oh, that's such a difficult question michael oh. well for he's got he's got a big he's got a big villain no-no going for him already a big chin no he's he's not british he's not oh, british. the villains just, have to be the villains british, have to be british or is this just an irish thing british and sophisticated is, is generally oh. how i like how i like my villains and he's decidedly not throw some sophisticated british villains at me um uh, oh no i'm stuck no Damn it. Hella, Hella from from Hella's, Thor. Hella's Australian, but she's very British in in. Oh, she is Australian. That. She's. You think I would know she, that with my Australian fever? Yeah, she's awfully British in pronunciation, though. So we we we'll give her an out pass. We'll we'll throw that on Loki. Hans Gruber is Hans Gruber British? He's German in the movie, but he's a British actor. Um, so and then, so it's British um, people being other races that's evil. I I think so. Tom Tom Hiddleston, he's very British. He's the Britishest man alive. He's he's Loki. Loki's Loki's now a Britishman. Well, you know, you could argue whether Loki's a villain or not, but that's probably for oh, a little bit later on we, in the podcast. Here we go. Here we go. The roller coaster of whether or not Ultron was played with a British accent. Was that a British accent or just a James Spader voice? It was James Spader voice, but it was heavily influenced, no? Yeah, he's just kind of posh, isn't he? He's kind of posh American, the way posh Americans sound British. Mm, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. That's true. Hard, hard to argue with that. Ben. Yes. Tell us about why, as a culture, we are so obsessed with uh, with villains. 
well, there for a second. Tell us about tell us about that topic. It's, I think it's a, a long held kind of uh, theory. First of all, that villains are easier to write. You can you can easier to write. I I think now this this depends on on how you look at your villains. You have two I, types. I of look villains. at them like this. If if the viewers could see, he's he's kind of stretched his face. Yeah, um, I've done a visual gag, but on yeah, a podcast. A visual gag, but so. on a podcast, so it doesn't really carry. But there are two no. types of, of villains. There are well-rounded, you know, uh, human villains, and there are paper cutout villains. They're called cardboard villains or right. paper cut villains. Um, and it's easier to write a villain because it's easier to kind of um, give them more interesting action points or more interesting plots. What that means is it's it's easier to write action for a villain than it is to write action for a hero. Or and you can villain, just give them a big mustache. Or you can just give them a big mustache and a British accent. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, usually I find people give it a little more effort than that. Not always. Not, Not always. always. Not always. But some of the time. But what what for whatever reason, the great villains seem to stick in the mind of of viewers an awful lot more than the heroes uh darth cool. vader for example of course. uh heath ledger joker for example yeah yeah keep uh, going oh have i got any more i might be all out that's uh, it yep yeah, that's it they're the two i've got um i'm all out would you would you have a- any more? A hannibal lecter hannibal lecter they made a whole series about him yeah they made a whole series about him so I, I think we have to look at those those key figures and try and figure out why they're so popular if we're going to do this podcast episode. And luckily, mm. Michael, yes. I've done just that. I've done just oh, that. Oh, you've done some research. Um, well, once upon a time, Michael, I, I wrote a blog, as as you know. Um, that's how we ended up doing a podcast together. Um, yeah. But um, one of the things that I wrote about in my blog was about a character called The Sovereign in an adult swim cartoon called The Venture Bros., that's very interesting ben um total total coincidence here i was going to talk about another character called sovereign oh okay but not not the same not the same guy but another guy with the same name which is i thought you'd i thought you'd kind of stood on my toes there i thought you'd spent my load no (laughs) i won't be spending any loads like don't spend my load on me ben that's fair enough that's fair enough. No, the Sovereign was a very interesting character that was introduced in the Venture Bros. Have you ever seen the Venture Bros? Um, I, I have. I am. I am acquainted with it, but I haven't watched it. Okay. Well, to those that aren't acquainted with it, it's a pastiche of all the old Hanna Barbera cartoons, like Johnny Quest and the Hardy Boys, and and things like that. And it makes fun of that kind of American adventure cartoon genre um, from the seventies and eighties. With from the seventies, eighties, and sixties as well, I think. But yeah, oh. it takes the mick out of all that. Um, and one of the most interesting characters on it was the Sovereign. And he was a man who ran the League of Calamitous Intent, um, which was... LCI. LCI, which was... Language kind of the... Centre of Ireland. <laughs> oh, God. The la- are you equating the Language Centre of Ireland to the League of Calamitous Intent? Are you saying that it's a bunch of villains run by a David Bowie shapeshifter? Yes, it's defunct yes. now, though, so Wonderful. I wouldn't worry about oh, it. damn. Well, anyway, outside yes. of all that... Yes. Outside of all that, 
Um, when I did this, I looked at three things that the philosopher Aristotle put down for great drama. Yeah, this one gets a bit nerdy. Um, ben, and just as are... a forewarning to you and the listeners, yes. every time you say Aristotle, I'm going to go. <laughs> that's I can call him a dog if that stops that from happening. No, that's worse. That's much worse. That's worse. Okay, Aristotle, it is. Um, yep absolutely so he outlined three key elements what he calls modes of persuasion um when when you're writing fiction or when you're writing a drama Um, and i hate learning things those yeah i know it's awful those three elements are pathos oh ethos yes and and logos lag lagos the lagos, island of lagos or, no it's not the island of lagos you don't have to set all your dramas on lagos it's not a problem um is it not lagos is that not what we is that not how you look, say that ben, one anyway just distra- anyway. you you do the you do the book learning and i do the sl- being slightly disruptive that's how so look, that's the dynamic we've got here fair enough fair enough so the three that you have there the the the, the key one that usually makes porthos atos what did you say porthos atos and d'artagnan Pe- yes, that was it. All from Alexandre Dumas, uh, Three Musketeers. Um, no, I'm kidding. I can keep up. I can do this all day. Um, so the three of these um, are really important, but the most important one is pathos. Pathos is, he, d- he defined it in his work rhetoric as awakening emotion in the audience so as to induce them to make the judgment desired. What that means is, if you simplify it, is that you have Simplified to make characters for the listeners, Ben, not for me, because I not for you, because you well. understand perfectly. But I'm a very intelligent person. For but listeners, if, that, if that, listeners that don't may. understand, tell tell them. I'm so not even going to re- listen. So it's really important to make Go your on. characters relatable with experience or similar emotions that the audience might have felt at various times. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so a great example of this, villain-wise, is Walter White. The first ah, season of Breaking Bad um, puts Walter White through a series of things that most Americans uh, would understand. Uh, financial trouble, um, failing marriage, um, difficulty health raising problems. a disabled child, health problems, uh, and more Male pattern balding. Male pattern balding. And more importantly, uh, work stress from his job as a science teacher. So yes. when we have this, what happens is the audience automatically engages with that person uh you'll Mm. find generally that pathos is the key to any great character not alone uh villains however the other two are just as important Um, and ethos and logos um were stated that um it aristotle said that if you really want to make a drama that that suits or or a character that really connects with an audience you have to use all three um so Mm -hmm. um Ethos is defined as uh, persuasion through convincing listeners of one's moral character. Okay, this means that uh, your character has to be shown to be uh, a, like a person of principle, not necessarily good moral character, but of moral character in general. So they have to have a series of principles. And generally right. speaking, you can distinguish a villain from a cardboard villain to a genuine villain based on their principles. Okay. Right. If they don't have principles, they're a cardboard villain. You don't really understand why they do what they do. They're just a bit of a dick. Okay? Like, for example, like for example, the Joker, who wanted to see the world burn. Well, theoretically, he has a principle. 
No, and I'm his saying that's, that's his principle. Yeah, exactly. That's his principle. So you can get behind and understand the motivation of why that character does what they do. Um, or how Michael Keaton's the vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming wants to keep his crew working and feed his family. Yeah, exactly. He's got working class motivations, so he does that. Exactly. Um, and the moral character doesn't necessarily have to be... I like how be... Hela wants to stick it to her dad. Yeah, so again, that would probably be pushing a little more in direction of a cardboard cut out because because everything that she does is not really clearly defined she's the goddess of death but we don't really understand why she's driven to do these things it doesn't really matter a good example for thanos one that's about to come out is that he says bringing order to the universe is rarely an occasion for or rarely allows fun or something like that that's the line he uses isn't it bring order to the universe you flubbed that a bit but yeah yeah, i I flubbed it a bit but so you understand that he has a principle. He's bringing yep. order to what he sees as chaos. So that might give us hope for him. And the final one that you need to make yep. all of this possible is Logos. Yep. And Logos is probably the, the like key the one. Like the Nike tick. Like the Nike tick, like a logo. No, that's Like not. the Apple symbol. <laughs> like the Apple symbol. Yeah, Logos. Yeah. Okay. We need a Logos. <laughs> okay. So... To ben, give a definition of what, yes. But I went to university, just in case anyone forgets. No. I'm, 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 <laughs> no. Pret- I'm pretending to be stupid. Michael Michael plays the, the ordinary man to my yeah. silly man. Um, yeah. And he just, he voices what other people might do. I'm sure people yeah. have stopped listening by now, but if they haven't, <laughs> um, <laughs> they've, they've definitely stopped listening to me by now. But the oh, last ben, one is Logos. I stopped listening when Ben wouldn't stop going on about Logos. <laughs> What makes a good logo? What makes a bad logo? Do you have to wear your logo on your belt like the X-Men? <laughs> so, I'll right, give you so the logos, la- yeah. I'll give you the last definition for logos, which is something more refined than the capacity to make private feelings public. It enables the human being to perform as no other animal can. It makes it possible for him to perceive and make clear to others through reasoned discourse the difference between what is advantageous and what is harmful, between what is just and what is unjust, and between what is good and what is evil. So basically, um, that means that it focuses on... Yes? What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, Aristotle focuses on intelligence and reason to separate human beings from basic actions. So generally speaking, when we want our characters to be perfectly rounded, they have to show some degree of intelligence, some degree of moral character, and some degree of relatability. So generally speaking, you'll find that with villains. A great example of someone who shows all three of these um, is uh, Silva from skyfall which is a bit of an outdated example but do you remember skyfall skyfall yeah so then for skyfall. me skyfall was practically yesterday yeah okay. i know i know you're so, younger but i mean how old is it seven years old uh, it, it's like yesterday if even yeah so silver was a really good example of all three of those things coming together um because uh, um coming okay fair enough um but he was betrayed, so that's his relatable feeling. He was let down by his mother figure, in that case, Judy Dench. Um, right. He has a very clear goal and a very clear motivation to why he's doing that. Um, yeah. Oh my God, it's a, it's a, is that a GoBot? No, it's Grimlock. It doesn't matter, Grimlock. keep going. Okay, and then 
finally he's wickedly intelligent and when villains use logos in the right way they make the heroes question their own decisions that's what they do like so uh, like uh, michael keaton's vulture like michael keaton's vulture exactly you're not really sure if beating that guy up for stealing parts that the government is just disposing of anyway is such a bad thing but that the government the web- caused themselves anyway that the government's caused themselves anyway so you have to look at things like this um, and try to understand and when the three of them come together we have fantastic things i think one of the the best things that people do for the betrayal dynamic in villains um is they use the ethos one quite well so when you build up a character to have a very strong moral background in this particular case like a good moral background and then you have the sudden and inevitable betrayal of that it mm-hmm. stings an awful lot uh, a great example of that is quaid in total recall Hold on a second. Quaid! <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you spend the whole movie rooting for Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's this guy who's lost his memory and he's trying to make his way back and throughout the entire movie he shows himself to be a person of good moral character. He helps people and does things. And so it hurts all the more when you realise, oh no, he's been working for the Federation the whole time. It turns out he was Hauser the whole time. He was Hauser the whole time. Um, and that's that's crazy. Quaid. And it kind of hurts the thing. Whereas, Re- if you use a more recent the example, oxygen, Quaid. <laughs> Whereas, or something I, I, it's been a while since I've seen Total Recall to be honest if you look at a more recent example of betrayal for example Thor Ragnarok every time Loki fucks Thor over mm-hmm. you kind of look yeah. at it and go meh saw it coming yeah you see the whole thing I, I, I'd argue against Loki being a villain to be honest anymore okay. he has kind of fallen into that trap the the trap of writers falling writers and fans falling so deeply in love with their villain that they have to keep them around and when you have to keep them around it's very hard to have them keep being a bad egg because Because. eventually they're going to do something that's kind of irredeemable so Mm. you know the old the old expression ben you either you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain that that you came up with that didn't you michael i don't think that was me i think that was aristotle who I said that don't. originally? I don't. Um, Ew. Well, um, I believe it was actually it was, was Pythagoras. Joke. He it said the square of the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the chance of seeing that's, yourself becoming a villain. That's not even no, no. That no, was that's Harry not even funny. Ben, shut up for a second. Hold on. Um, but in 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 the real world, they say that about the real world. But in comic books, it's very much the opposite. Any villain who has enough staying power eventually becomes a, a hero. I've yeah. made a little list. Loki. Yep. Venom. Yep. Catwoman. Catwoman, yes. Yes. Uh, the Terminator. Terminator, yes. To a certain extent, the Predator. Yeah. Alien versus Predator um, is kind of the hero in that. Hannibal Lecter, to some degree. Yeah, what's that about? That's a weird... I know, it's weird. That's uh, a weird Buffy. transference. No, the Buffy was the, the, yeah. Yeah, I think, Spike I think, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, Spike, Spike did the whole transition. Uh, a little bit of Faith as well, although Faith was a bit of a switcheroo because she was introduced as a hero, became a villain, then became a hero again. For Christ's sake. Bloody For ridiculous. Um, Redemption arc. Yeah, like, it just, it just keeps happening that if, if you stick around long enough, basically you become, a, you become the hero. Doctor Doom is currently a hero, kind of he? in the yeah. middle of a, of a hero turn as well. Uh, carnage even 
Yeah, and he wears Carnage. a white suit, and he's kind of, Carnage was good there for a while. He's bad again now, I think. Oh, but good. that's what I'm saying. Um, in a lot of ways, you kind of you declaw your villain when they're around too much, and people love them so much. Yeah, I I always hated that effect when you know when a villain is very powerful as a villain, mm-hmm. and they're like really strong, and they eventually come over to the good side, and for some reason Magneto. Yeah, they're not nearly as strong then as they they are as a villain. Like they seem like such a an insurmountable obstacle when they're a uh-huh. bad guy, and then all of a sudden every other villain can kick them around a little bit. Juggernaut. I, yeah, I never understood that. The I other thing, the other thing that's interesting, relating back to what you said about your pathos, yes. is um, you, this whole thing about having a relatable villain making it. That's is that what the pathos one was? Yes. Relatability, yeah, having some, having some sort of relatability. In a lot of ways, people can go too far in that. Um, Darth Vader being the classic example. Darth Vader, original Darth Vader, we knew next to nothing about, and he was amazing. Yeah, he was real scary. He was real scary. He's real intimidating. He just appears on screen, and you go, "Oh shit!" There's the bad guy. Look at him in his spooky samurai helmet. He's gonna, he's gonna be a bad egg. But then. The the sequels seem to be a, a six-hour effort... Sorry, the prequels seem to be a six-hour effort to ruin Darth Vader by making him relatable. Yeah, but they just picked the worst possible way of doing that. Um, what, would, yeah, no, what would Aristotle say about that, Ben? What would he say if he wasn't well, dead? Well, to be fair, in, in defense of, of Aristotle... Ew! Um, Ooh, Ben's um, going to defend Aristotle on a podcast. He... Um, <laughs> He didn't necessarily apply it directly to villains. He just applied it to characters that he felt were were more important. He, what an asshole. An yeah, what what a tosser. Um, <laughs> what a bunch of tossers. Oh, no, I said that wrong. See how I got that wrong? Because <laughs> it's Tim. Because um, it's, 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 it's not... Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, no, I think there's definitely an element of that. If you want a big bad villain, then you can't give that much away. I think it, it's, it follows a similar principle of... of you know, once you see the monster in a horror movie, it's not nearly mm-hmm. as scary as what it was in the build-up. Yeah, often. Um, what about, Ben, what about bad guys who aren't really, in any sense, a character? As in the kind just of, a... Just a kind of presence, an evil, terrifying, unstoppable presence. For, like, for example, the Terminator in the original... In the original movie, the first yeah. movie, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have it. You don't relate to him. You don't, uh, you don't care about his backstory. His backstory is irrelevant. He's just a big, sure. scary Austrian trying to shoot that woman. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think. Yeah. Okay. I, I completely agree with you there. And I think another interesting parallel for that is Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Um, we have a few of them. Michael Myers would would kind of fall yeah. into that same category, or the T one thousand, the Terminator's Terminator. Sure. Oh yeah. Uh, that was, yeah. I think in that case, you kind of said it yourself. They're not necessarily characters. They're more of a plot device in that regard, or a theme. You know what I mean? But still great villains. Still great villains. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. Any T- terrible characters. Great villains. Yeah, terrible characters, great villains. Okay, so it surpasses in some ways then. I'm saying that it, it, a villain doesn't necessarily have to be a great character to grip you as yeah. a, an iconic villain. Yeah. Now, yeah. I don't think that applies to Thanos because Thanos is definitely being sold to us as a character. 
He's not yeah. just a terrifying force of nature that shows up and is unstoppable. He no, may he... his uh, his Black Order may be something along those lines. Is the Black Order definitely still happening? Oh yeah, I mean okay. Nidge from uh, Nidge yeah. from <laughs> from uh, yeah love hate. Gonna give me yeah. those Infinity Stones, yeah. Gonna all right. Fucking Nidge. <laughs> <laughs> You will give me those infinity stones now or I will personally spray paint your face with acid. Classic. Space Classic acid. Age. Space acid. Space <laughs> acid. Um, so Ben, Jeez. let me let me tell you uh, let me tell you a couple of my let me tell you about one of the villains that I like. Do tell. Because Do this tell. Uh, this is this isn't fall into your thing, I don't think, but you, Good. you know you uh, let's see what you think. Have you ever I know. I know you. You don't really have opposable thumbs, so you're not massively into video games. I am part cat, or yes. kind of holding things is also a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> Mass Effect video yes. games. Never, oh, never played it. Never heard of it. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a I PC. Know it. PC. Uh, it's it's from Bioware. Ooh. It's an action role playing game. Bioware, in case you don't know, which you probably don't. Uh, were or are mostly famous were mostly famous for Star Wars games okay and uh, Mass Effect very clearly comes from a lineage of Star Wars games it's it's set in space it's in a it's in the future there's lots of different alien species and a kind of alliance of different alien species and okay there's a there's a kind of power like the force called biotics and it's basically space telekinesis and so on and so on and so on. But it's technology based rather than magic based. Okay, I can I can get behind that a little bit more. Think of a kind of more technology ish kind of Star Wars ish universe. It's no great universe actually. No midichlorians, no. There's uh, different chemicals. Anyway, uh, in the first game, you're you're introduced to the villain. His name is Saren. Okay. And he's kind of like a rogue space. He's, they're called specters, but the best way to think about it is like a, like a future space navy seal, ooh, the kind of the elite of the elite, uh, but with a bit more of an adventurer thrown in as well, kind of like how the people the world imagines navy seals are. Yeah, okay. So he's a, Sounds so he's cool, a future though. space navy seal, and he's gone off the reservation, and he's attacking planets for some reason. Okay. And he has this huge. Two kilometer long battleship called yeah. Sovereign. Ooh. And the great mystery is where did he get this ship that's letting him be so powerful and so influential? Okay. And partway through the game, you actually discover that Sovereign isn't his ship. Sovereign is a two kilometer long alien called a Reaper. Oh. And these Reapers are artificial intelligence aliens who live outside the galaxy. They live in the empty space between galaxies. Oh. And Sovereign is the vanguard of the the Reaper invasion. Every 50,000 years, um, the, the Reapers attack the galaxy and harvest all living organisms. Oh. And... Sovereign was left behind to monitor the galaxy while the the other Reapers go back out to hibernate. Oh. And Saren, it turns out, discovered the ship. Yes. And he has been indoctrinated. Uh, Sovereign 
all Reapers, but Sovereign is the one in the game, uh, if you spend time in or around them, yes. they gradually and very insidiously control your mind. So Ooh. that you think you're working to stop them, but in fact you're doing everything they need you to do to bring them back. That's pretty clever. So the the great thing about so- Sovereign as a bad guy is you can't just go and bloody punch a two kilometer long spaceship. Yeah, it doesn't work very well. No. So, I mean, Saren is his kind of his avatar that you can fist fight. You can mm-hmm. Captain Kirk him and hit him with a double broom handle punch attack. But Sovereign is just there. He's, he, it takes, uh, spoilers for the end of the game, it takes the <gasps> entire fleet of hundreds of ships and a lucky basically a lucky shot to kill sovereign okay so he does die in the end but then you find out that he was only the the vanguard vanguard and a whole a species of these things are waiting out in deep space to come in and take over Uh... brilliant amazing villain uh there's a twist where he turns out to be where just this kind of cool ship turned out to be actually alive and the driving force of the thing but also, like, unfightable. Yeah, yeah. Terrifying. Like, you can't reason with him because he has this... He exists on a time scale beyond... What you could comprehend. He's been, yeah, he's millions of years old and this you do is just know, one cycle. You do know this Go is on. just your favourite theme in, in space. It's cosmic horror in space. Yeah, cosmic horror in space it's, is the best. Yeah, it's your favourite thing. <laughs> I, I think you have a fair point, though. Um, it's very Lovecraftian. I, I, yeah. I, I'm aware of that. He even he looks like a giant squid, a giant tentacly monster thing. Uh, okay. Imagine a giant two-kilometer-long squid spaceship. And then but you, do, you've got do you, Sovereign. Do you not think that Saren is what embodies all those elements of Aristotle? Do you, do you Saren or that, Sovereign? The guy who no, gets no, no. mind control. Sovereign, the, no, no, sovereign is the mind the, the controller or the mind controlee. M- mind controlee. So I'm, I'm saying, if you look at, um, so the villain, obviously the main villain of of this game that you were talking about is sovereign. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't really engage with a two kilometer long, or sorry, thirteen kilometer. Two. Two. Okay, two kilometer. You can't really engage with a two kilometer ship. It doesn't work. But by using, no, you can't the punch mind, it in the face. By by using the mind controlee you kind of enable the villain to have pathos, ethos, and logos. Because the pathos in in Saren, as you've described him, is that he's just trying to save his universe. Now, he yeah. doesn't know. He doesn't know. His ethos is very, very simple. He wants to protect the universe. And then logos is a little bit more insidious. I would say that... I would say that sovereign probably represents the logos part of things where it's it's hyper intelligent and it it you know manipulates events to look at it but you have to look at sovereign and siren as like a package deal mm-hmm. and that might be what makes them so great it's a little bit it's not a great explanation but if you were looking for a, a nerdy kind of breakdown of why it works the pair embodied the three modes of persuasion as opposed to one singular character well, Ben, let me tell you something. 
I wasn't but, looking for a breakdown of how oh, it works. Oh, sorry, sorry. But thanks for giving me one anyway. Sorry. <laughs> my my humble apologies. Do you have any other any favorite villains? Um, I was I was trying to think of, of favorite villains for the day. I mm-hmm. I've never I've never gotten over Heath Ledger's Joker. Spectacular, spectacular creature that he is. Um, he's a nice subversion of what you expect. You want I think one of the best things about that that character was the the constantly shifting backstory. So the lies, basically. Yeah, exactly. But it really messes with that idea of pathos. Because every time you think you're going to gleam an understanding into motivation or anything like that. Like, he, okay, he's clearly highly intelligent because he orchestrates these mass events and things like that. He clearly mm-hmm. has ethos, which is his code. And the only thing you're missing and what drives the intrigue as a character is his pathos. You want to understand the relatability or, or the reason that he's doing these things. You want to understand the motivation of why you're doing these things. And he plays with that on the audience's part by giving you multiple interpretations. In one, he's an abused child. In another, he's a grieving husband. In another, um, you know... Traumatized soldier? Yeah, traumatized soldier. You know, there are all these... But even Alfred steps in to try and provide background. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's... he's. I think the traumatized soldier was more of a fan theory. Yeah, you're right, actually. That's true. He has really... Well, I mean, it's brought on partially by Alfred as well because he gives you that story about his time in the jungle where they met a warlord who... Or a bandit who was just burning... Um, who was just burning motorcades down. He was just destroying oh, them. Oh, yes. He was destroying the jewels. So there was a military background. He didn't care that. about the jewels. Yeah, exactly. But I think a lot of people kind of read into you kind of kind of a PTSD veteran being let down because he's highly skilled, highly trained, blah, blah, blah. He knows um, how to but, use rocket launchers. Exactly. But you're never given an exact reason. And that's what that's makes true, him so actually. scary. Is right. it about... Uh, is it about Joker or Bane that Alfred has his famous line? You were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Um, I'm afraid. I'm afraid you've jumped not only not only movies or genres, but decades in that particular case. <laughs> it's from the Italian Which, job. Is it about uh, is it about Bane or Joker that he says some men want to watch the world burn or whatever uh, it was? It's it's Joker that he says. It that is about. Joker. Okay. Yeah, it's Joker that he says that about. He gets much more downplayed in The Dark Knight Rises. He's not as central a character as he should be, I think, in that film. Alfred or Joker? Because he's dead. Alfred. Alfred, because he has that. Ah. I think the most thing that people remember him for, mostly in in that is, I failed you. And he has that one Oh, thing. Master Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, I failed oh, you. Oh, he's dead. Oh, no, look, there he is. He's in the yes. cafe. Yes. With, with, that, with that woman. With that woman. Yeah, so I think that was kind of where that one went. Um but I think you have a point. I think, funnily enough, when you obscure the pathos or when you take away exact reason... Don't obscure my pathos, Ben. Sorry. Um, th- when you obscure you the pathos... Did you obscure my pathos? I did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you SJWing me on our own podcast? Yes. Do you have a right to an unobscured pathos? Is that what you have? Yes. Everybody do you have any does. more? Do you have any more great villains? Uh, uh, I have a villain. I, here's a villain I really like, but... Uh, I don't know. If you, again, you've probably never heard of him. Ben, <laughs> as you know, I enjoy a Transformer. You do. You love an old Transformer. There's one there. Look. Oh, look at him. Old Transformer. But that's not who I'm going to talk about. Ben, have you ever heard of uh, comic book artist and writer extraordinaire Nick Roach? No. He's he's uh, he's a Transformers writer. He's from Ireland. He's from Wexford. Oh, lovely. 
And he, in 2010, wrote a comic called Last Stand of the Wreckers. And Last Stand of the Wreckers defined modern Transformers comics. Okay. Uh, before Nick Roach and Last Stand of the, Record, of the Wreckers, the man, the voice in Transformers comics was um, an English writer called Simon Furman. I see. And he basically wrote everything ever in Transformers. But Nick Roach came along. And Nick Roach was given kind of a blank slate okay. to write a story with some D-list Transformers. A lot of them had never appeared in comics. They'd had toys from obscure mid-90s toys. Okay. But had never appeared. And he created this story set after the end of the Transformers War, where uh, Autobots and Decepticons are technically at peace. Sure. But uh, a, a lunatic of a, of a Decepticon, a bad guy called Overlord has taken over a an Autobot prison okay. and this bunch of basic no-hopers D-listers sure. are rounded up and sent in to try and stop Overlord a ragtag and group of heroes exactly nice. and it's not going to end well Ooh. because Overlord is one of Megatron's Megatron of course being the leader of the Decepticons yes. but he's one of Megatron's big guns He's, uh, he's what's called in Transformers a Phase Sixer. Phase okay. Six being uh, a stage in an invasion. Phase Six is a total annihilation of the local population. I did not know. So this. if you need if you need the local population annihilated, you send in a Phase Sixer. So and, he's an A bomb. Uh, exactly. He's a he's a he's a walking weapon of mass destruction, basically. Nice. And the thing about Overlord is yes. he doesn't really like that. Because he sees himself as a complex person who has his own goals and he doesn't okay. want to be just overlord. This planet's being a bit of a pain. Go in and kill everyone. So he he's wants the, to be... Go on. He's the exact opposite of Conquest from Invincible. You know, yes, exactly. He is the exact opposite of that. He, he is that character, but he doesn't want to be just yeah. a weapon. In terms of motivation. So, okay. Exactly. So he is like physically terrifying. He's the match for hundreds of normal Transformers. He's, okay. He's like, a, he's like a Superman in a world where everyone else is kind of uh, Captain America. Oh, um, that's not good. And you're not, yeah, exactly. And he's a lunatic. Ooh. And he's a sadist. Ooh. And he's lavender. He's lavender. Okay. He, well, he's lavender in a kind of dark blue. The Transformers, sometimes they're stuck with 80s colours. The sheer um, villain. He's got big juicy lips. and uh, on, a, on a metal he, living being. Yeah, it's great. He has the, the sexiest lips you've ever seen on a I'm, robot. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up. What's his you name? look him Over, up there. Overlord. Overlord, Overlord Nick Roach. You, you keep telling me. And the thing about uh, Overlord is he takes over this planet and he turns it into this debauched, hellish place where he tortures the prisoners he makes the prisoners fight in tournaments and then if they win enough fights they get to take part in the final challenge to escape but then the final challenge turns out to be fighting him and none of them have any chance against him uh every time overlord shows up people die in horrible horrible ways okay but the whole thing turns out to be he just wants megatron to pay him attention and to see him as an equal Oh, so the way to beat him basically is to prey on his "you're not as good as Megatron" complex. No, he's got an inferiority. Those are some juicy ass lips. I'm telling Um, you, 
He's the sexiest robot you've ever seen. Goodness and again, I think I think I generally read him with a British accent. He's got he's got Luther lips. Do you remember Justice League? The the yeah, Justice League cartoon. Yeah, Lex yeah. Luther has some juicy lips in that too. So he's a uh, he like like every villain. He was great when he was first introduced, and then in subsequent appearances, every every time he showed up, people die. I'm saying people. I mean Transformers, but in the comics, the Transformers are people. Yeah, but Transformers are people. Sure. God, um, Michael, Transformers are people too. Transformer lives matter. Transformers are people, Ben. Yeah, my God. Very good character. Uh, he just got a, a a nice new toy as well. Oh, has it been yeah. ordered? Is it headed to the tiny room? Uh, apparently, it, it's a leader class toy, Ben. That's the largest kind of mass market toy. Oh. We're talking probably forty dollars, so eighty euro. Uh, but apparently he's been discounted in Tesco, so I'm actually waiting this one out for him to to drop down a little bit in price. He's been discounted he, in Tesco's. Then I, he can go on my shelf at my other Nick Roach Transformers. Great. Okay. So what do you think he of that, Ben? Like, um. Well, he's kind of embodied all the things that I talked about. Oh, for God's sake! I was trying to well, stop you. Pathos, egos, and and logos. Like he's. His pathos is that he has an inferiority complex, which is quite relatable to a lot of people. Um, you, his okay, sure. You 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 don't suffer from such a such an ina- uh, perceived inadequacy, but um, there no. you go. His ethos is very clear. He wants to be an equal, um, mm-hmm. and his logos is unquestionable. He's very intelligent. He um, orchestrates mass events of sadism, and. Um, not only that, but he's backed up by being fairly badass, which which is the and, which is the fourth mode of persuasion, uh, badass thos, which uh, <laughs> comes a little bit later. He's got guns. In, he's in got rhetoric. guns where his nipples should be. No way. Yeah, Does he actually? Oh, that's excellent. I love it. Nipple nipple guns. Should he be the ben, master of we... the podcast? Yeah. All right. Uh, nipple guns. Giant bloody lavender sadist nipple is the mascot. <laughs> So oh, he's actually not that lavender, is he? He's only as good as lavender. He's bluish. He's a blue and a teal and a lavender. No, no, yeah. stop it. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, it's not the for, end of the podcast forever, Ben. No, it's the end of this for, week's for, for this podcast. Week, for this week. Um, let us know what you think below. Um, do you have a favorite villain? Why is it your favorite villain? Do you think that Aristotle is a load of tosh? Um, yes. And do you think that Michael is Aristotle are... a villain? Is uh, Ben yeah. a villain? Exactly. Um, and more importantly, do you think that Michael and I are a bunch of homosexuals or a pair of homosexuals? <laughs> um, Just to reiterate, not not actually a homosexual. Jury's out on me, but totally, you know, totally fine. Yeah. Right. See ya. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye. <laughs>